0: Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankany.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress.
1: Good morning. Our scripture for today is from Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15, and chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. The iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to come into this place this morning uh, with your word and your spirit in a powerful way. Um, Please touch each person here today and and just help us to live our lives as as servants and as followers of you. We ask you to be with Reed this morning as he delivers your message. uh, Help him to speak with boldness and, and with wisdom. Lord, we just we just don't want to take one of your blessings for granted today. So we just lift up your name in in praise and in thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Our biggest problem in life, your biggest problem in life, is that you are a sinner and guilty before God. We are all sinners and guilty before God. And there there is no worse thing than being guilty, knowing you are guilty, and feeling guilty. I still remember the first time in my life that I felt guilt. And I was probably... 5 years old and some friends of our family the Will heights had loaned us this great big beautiful bible story book and each of the chapters had this big blank page at the end of the chapter and for some reason i took crayons and scribbled on all of those blank pages even though i knew i shouldn't And I felt guilty. I felt, as a five-year-old, I felt guilt. And so I hid that book. I hid it so my mom and dad couldn't find it. And even at five years old, I dreaded the day that we would have to give that book back to the Wilhites, and my sin would be exposed. Well, that day finally did come. One day, Mrs. Wilhite came to get the book back, and... I remember it like it was yesterday. My stomach was in knots. I was a nervous, scared little boy. And I surrendered the book with fear and trembling and told them, and actually even with tears, and told them what I had done. Well, Mrs. Wilhite was extremely gracious, but I never, never forgot that feeling of guilt and how awful it was. Now, I've done much worse things than that, but that's the first time that I really remember feeling guilt. Our guilt is real. We are truly guilty before God. It is not just that we have guilt feelings or feel guilty. We truly are guilty before God. And our guilt is unbearable. We subconsciously try to to make our guilt go away. We point our finger at others. We, we want others to bear guilt, not us. We are That's why we argue so vehemently that we are right and others are wrong. People seek to deny the reality of guilt feelings. I believe uh, a great motive behind the present popularity of atheism is an effort to remove guilt feelings. If we can rid ourselves of God, then we can rid ourselves of guilt. We come up with little sayings like, well, I'm not perfect. I'm only human. How true that is. But usually those kind of things are said in order to excuse our guilt or to make us feel better about our guilt. We compare ourselves with others. We talk about other sins and faults because it helps mask our guilt feelings and our sense of failure. Or we hide things like I did that book. We cover up what we have done, Cindy and I know a woman. I will not tell you her name because I wouldn't want in any way to betray a trust. But we know a woman who was raised in a Christian home. She went to what I would call a, a consider a good church, uh, but when she was a teenager, she had sexual relations with a boyfriend. She got pregnant. Her parents were leaders in the church. But instead of helping her deal with her sin and guilt, they decided to cover it up. And one by one, her family members came into her bedroom and said, You have to have an abortion if you don't. Think of how much shame it will cause, bring to our family. And so her dad drove her to an abortionist and had that baby put to death. And after that day, her mom or dad never ever talked to her or mentioned that again. Nothing but dead silence. Thinking that would cover it up. But 30 years later, as a middle-aged woman, she was still struggling to deal with the guilt of her sexual immorality and the guilt of killing her baby. And also, very confused how her Christian parents would force her to have an abortion and just try to cover things up. People have tried dealing with their guilt by making sacrifices, by giving money, by doing penance, by wallowing in regret or remorse. But it is impossible to undo your own guilt. So Jesus comes along to us and he says, I will take all of your guilt upon me. In effect, in effect, he says to you, I love guilty people so much, I am willing to take your sin and your wickedness upon me. I'm willing to take your sin away from you and to take it upon myself. And so the, really the basic option for, for every man, woman, and child Is either to continue to deny your guilt or you can accept this arrangement made by God through Jesus Christ to permanently and eternally and perfectly and wonderfully take care of your guilt forever. Ray Ortland said, God treats fools and harlots with royal dignity as Jesus steps into our place at the cross and bears our real moral guilt far away upon himself. And of course, it is not just fools and harlots that God treats with royal dignity. It is people like you and me. Jesus bears away the guilt of all kinds of sinners, slanderers, gossips, cheaters, powders, Drunkards, selfish people, homosexuals, every kind of sin you can imagine, Jesus chose to willingly bear in his own body, to bear it for us. You know, we learn all of our lives from our youngest age that the guilty must be punished. That guilt must be paid for. Uh, The little boy who hits another little boy has to sit on a chair or be paddled. The student who cheats on his test, if he's found out and caught, gets a failing grade. Uh, The man who lied on his job resume ends up losing his job. Our entire justice system is built on the principle that if you do the crime, you pay the time. Guilt cannot be swept under the carpet. When, When someone is wronged or injured, someone has to pay for it. Even when someone runs into your car in a parking lot, someone has to take care of it, either you or the other driver. The damage and the costs just don't go away. And the issue that Isaiah 53 addresses is this. How is the damage of your sin to be paid for? And the answer is that out of love, God charged your sins to Jesus Christ. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that happened at the cross. Now, here's the amazing thing about Isaiah 53 this is written 700 years before the life and death of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing prophecy. I mean, if you have any doubt about the reliability of scriptures, if you have any tr- doubt about the truth of Christianity, go right here and read this passage that's front in your bulletin, Isaiah 52. 13 through verse 6 of or really the whole entire chapter of, of Isaiah 53. Incredi- in incredible detail, the, the death of Jesus is laid out, the purpose of that death, and what it accomplished. There can be no doubt with, to an open mind and an open heart that this is talking about Jesus. Jesus. And it is, it is as though Isaiah is standing at the foot of the cross. Even though this is written 700 years before the cross, it is as though Isaiah is standing at the foot of the cross along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John, others. And God is speaking to Isaiah and telling him exactly what is happening at the cross and how all the sins of the world are being laid on his son. This is an incredible love story. If you ever wonder how God could love you, this is how. If you ever wonder, with all that I've done, with all my sins and wickedness, how could God ever love me? This is how. Because God, here in Isaiah 53, prophetically speaking, he is taking all of your wickedness and giving you back his love instead. The Apostle Paul said about Jesus, he loved me and gave himself for me. And you never really understand the gospel until you can say that too. You can say that from the bottom of your heart in the most personal and appreciative, affectionate way. That you, that, that is the statement of your life. He loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. When you can say that and mean that and feel the emotion of that, feel the affection of that, that's when you are beginning to understand the gospel and understand what it means to be a Christian. Out of love, he paid your penalty. But we see here that the plan of God to deal with your sins looks weak and foolish. It is hidden by the ordinariness, and I don't know if that's a word or not, but it's hidden by the ordinariness of the man, the servant, and the events. One solitary man, seemingly no different than, than any other man, is the answer to everything. And of course, we know that man is Jesus. But Isaiah says he does not look like anything special. He, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance That we should desire him. In other words, he did not look like anybody special. He did not come on the scene like a rock star or a movie star. He did not uh, come to save us like General Patton racing across Europe to defeat the Nazis. Uh, He did not come out of heaven like a knight in shining army. There was nothing glamorous or it says even noticeable about him except how badly he was tortured and beaten and disfigured. So Isaiah tells us that Jesus did all he did for us in the most repulsive, humiliating, and even ugly way. Repulsive way. There was no glory in it whatsoever. Verse 13 tells us that he will be honored, he will act wisely, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. He will sprinkle many nations And kings will shut their mouths because of him. That will all happen. And yet the emphasis of this passage is that before that happens, he will live in rejection and suffering and be acquainted with sorrow and grief, which he did. And so this apparently ordinary man is beaten. He's pierced. He's crushed. He's forsaken. Verse 14 says his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man even beyond the likeness of a man. In other words, he was so mangled and beaten through his flogging and the crown of thorns that was pressed upon him, through the crucifixion, through all that he went under. He was so mangled and beaten that people were not asking, is that the son of God? They were asking, is that human? Verse 3 says, He was like one from whom men hide their faces. God works contrary to human expectations and according to appearances. What looks weak and pathetic in the eyes of man is often the way that God is working the most. And that was the case here with Jesus. The apparent failure of Christ was the victory of God. In the weakness of the cross is the wisdom of God. In this one solitary man who was beaten and crushed and pierced and forsaken, this is God's answer to all of human sin and all of human misery. God shifted our blame to Jesus Christ. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it was for us. It was for us. And because of us, because of our sin, that he was crushed and bruised and beaten. In other words, bearing our sin, because of our sin, and bearing our sin, is what made him look weak and broken. And This is the the irony of Israel's rejection of Christ. Because Christ looks weak, because he looks awful, because he looks pathetic, they reject him as their Messiah. And yet the reason he looks that way is because he was crushed for their sake. I read a story some time ago, I don't remember the details of it, but the story has always stayed with me, uh, about a mother who had been badly scarred, uh, had been burned, badly burned and badly scarred because of that. And when her daughter became a teenager, she was embarrassed of her mother's appearance and didn't want to be seen with her mom. And finally, the teenage daughter was told that when she was a little girl, their home burned down, and this mother had gone back into the house to rescue this little girl, had went through the flames, had become badly, her clothes had caught on fire, she, her skin and her face were badly burned and scarred permanently in going in to rescue her little girl. It was for her daughter's sake. And that's, that's how it is with Jesus. He looks bruised and crushed because it was for our sake and for the sake of his people, Israel. And yet the Jewish people are ashamed to call Christ their Messiah. As someone has said, they wanted fewer parables and more politics. They wanted somebody that had the appearance of greatness and of worldly power. But God did not do it that way. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And so Isaiah said, who has believed our message. Who has believed our report? Isaiah is saying it it seems like hardly anybody believes believes it. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, and we esteemed him not. The very people who were waiting for a Messiah failed to see the Messiah when he came. They esteemed him not. They did not recognize him. And for the most part, The Jewish people today still do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. But someday they will. uh, Zechariah 12.10 says, They will look on me, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. One day they will recognize Jesus as their Savior and realize that he was pierced and rejected for their sake. One day they will say exactly what Isaiah wrote here. He was despised, and we esteemed we esteemed him not. But his suffering was not wasted. Uh, it was for a purpose. It accomplished the most important thing in all of human history, and that was to take our guilt and our sin upon himself. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, punished to bring us peace by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each one of us has turned to our own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all you know a lot of times we say it's not about us well this passage says it is about us it's about us because the problem is us it's about us because we're the ones with this massive Problem of guilt and sin and sorrow and grief that has come upon us because of that. Certainly the Bible is God-centered and it is about His glory. But we can never say that God is aloof or disinterested in us. Look at all it says that He did for us right here in these verses. Verse, verse 4, Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This, this promise begins with the word surely, which, which I love. Surely. It means, it means that what I'm about to say to you is absolutely unshakably true. It's like when Jesus was, was about to say something and he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. And it says that surely he has borne. He has borne something for us. The word born means both taking upon himself and taking away from us. And he is about to tell us what he has taken off of us or off of our shoulders and placed onto him. Far and away we see from this passage the main thing and the repeated emphasis is that the main thing Christ did for us was to deal with our sins, to take our sins upon him. But he also took upon himself the effects of our sin. And this this is so amazing, I think, in this passage. We see the incredible mercy and love of God, not only to just, in a sense, legally relieve 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 us of our guilt and sin, But he also took upon himself the effects of our sin. The things that our sin produced. Our griefs and our sorrows. The word for griefs um, includes a lot of things. uh, The word for griefs can be translated sicknesses. It means infirmities, uh, calamities. These are all things that our sins cause. I mean, sin causes so many agonies and issues in our lives. Jesus took upon himself our sin and our guilt, but also the grief and the sorrow of our sin, the shame, the tears, and the pain that our sin produced, our sickness of body, our sickness of soul, all of these things which are the result of sin, he lifted them off of us and carried Them from us. And I love the way the very first thing that it says here is surely He took our griefs, or He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, Jesus is the only one who can lift you out of your grief and depression. He's the only one that can truly take you out of your griefs and your sorrows. Nothing is more depressing than sin. Nothing is more depressing than the effects of sin in our lives and homes and families and relationships. And when we receive Jesus as Savior from sin, we also come to know Him as the one who lifts the burden of sadness, of grief and sorrow from His, from us. And I think it is so beautiful to know, even if you don't completely understand how it works, but it is so beautiful to know that there is help and healing for your deepest pains, and sorrows. All of the sorrows that come from living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. That broken relationship that causes you so much pain. The death of that person who you loved so much. That pain from something in your past that nobody else knows anything about. Christ came to lift that off of you. Christ came near to us. He became one of us so that he might carry our griefs and our sorrows for us. The word grief and sorrow can also mean disease and pain. Matthew applies this verse to Christ's healing people's physical sicknesses. Matthew eight seventeen says, He healed all who were sick. Of course, referring to Jesus going about healing all who were sick. And Matthew says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You know, we separate so much diseases of the soul and diseases of the body. In the Jewish way of thinking, all sickness of body and soul was traced back to sin. And this is saying that he took upon himself all that is broken about your body and your soul because of sin. Christ took upon himself all that is broken about me. He took upon himself all that is broken about you. He took the full weight of our sin and what our sins have produced, and he bore them all on the cross. And in a substantial way, we will live that out and experience that in this life. Ultimately, of course, in heaven where there is no more crying or dying or sickness or pain or sorrow or depression or whatever. The point is, your sorrow will not have the last word. Your sickness of body and soul will not win. Pain is not the end of the story. Whatever pain and shame sin has brought into your life, whatever loss or despair or sickness, Jesus bore that, and he lifts that off of your shoulders and takes that onto himself. Verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. Or some versions say pierced for our transgressions. As I said at the beginning, the biggest problem, our biggest problem, your biggest problem, my biggest problem is our guilt, our sin before a holy God. He was wounded for our transgressions. The heart of our problem, the heart of your problem is transgression or sin. Transgression means to break God's law. And this verse is saying that Christ was wounded or he was pierced through for our transgressions, for all those moments of rebellion in which you have broken God's law, for all those moments in your life in which you have lived outside of God's will. For all those times in your life when you said those words and did those things and thought those thoughts and looked at those things that did not line up with the Bible and what God's will was for your life. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The word iniquities means our sins which are perverse or depraved. So you think of the most perverse, vile things that you have ever done or thought or imagined in your life. And Isaiah says Jesus was crushed for that. He was crushed for your iniquities, for your sinful, vile, perverse things. And nothing that you have done is so perverse, so vile, that it cannot be covered by Jesus being crushed for you. The word crushed means the complete destruction of a person, meaning that he was crushed to to death, that his life was crushed to pay for your iniquities. He was punished to bring us peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The suffering, the things that he endured, the flogging, the wounding, the battering of his body and head, the crucifixion, the piercing of his hands and feet, the the sword being driven up through his side and his heart. All of that was to bring you into a state of peace with God. Do you see what a huge price was paid in order for you to have peace with God? Don't reject that. Don't ignore that. By his punishment, we have peace. His punishment was for our peace and our well-being. One of my favorite verses, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most wonderful thing in the world to have peace with God most wonderful thing in the world to be rid of guilt and guilt feelings and the misery of sin and guilt. To know that you have peace with God is the greatest blessing in this life. There is just nothing better for your soul to experience than to know that that God loves you and he made peace for you. That all all that he suffered... Was he and was punished was to bring you peace with God. He was wounded so we could be healed or by his stripes we are healed. Certainly this has application to physical healing. One of the terrible effects or side effects of sin, sin's entrance into our world is sickness and disease. Jesus, Jesus showed power to forgive sins and to heal disease. Christians may differ on exactly how that's experienced and how perfectly in this life. But unquestionably, there is healing for us in the work of Christ. By his wounds, we are healed. But there is also healing that comes to our souls. Peter used this verse in this way in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree... So that we might die to sins and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. That's all one thought. That's all one line of thought. And so Peter is referring back to the same passage in Isaiah. He bore our sins in his body, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. In other words, his wounds healed us of our sins, his wounds healed us. ...of our sinful condition so that we might live in the health of righteousness. By his stripes refers to the wounds of his body. Uh, meaning that his, his flesh was flayed or cut open. His body was ripped open in bloody stripes when Pilate had Jesus flogged. Your sin problem was taken care of by his wounds by his bloody stripes. Spurgeon said, "Brethren, I urge you not to scourge yourselves, for by his stripes we are healed. You cannot beat yourself up enough to pay for your sins. It's not by flogging yourself that you deal with your sins." Not by flogging yourself, but but by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes, all the record of your sins and your faults, your evil thoughts, all your moral failures are atoned for. Now, when we do sin, there is an appropriate sense of sorrow, and you know, just a couple of weeks ago. My wife and I were talking in front of a subcontractor that I've known for years, Mike Tucker from TNT. Cindy asked me to do something related to something that he was talking to us about, and I didn't want to do it. And I became stubborn, and uh, she asked me again, kind of pressed a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't yell out any bad words or anything, but I was visibly angry and frustrated and uh, I got back in the car and I said Cindy that was not our finest moment and uh, I felt I felt I felt sorrow I felt sorrow about my sin but yet I had to go back to how does that sin get taken care of how does that how does that get dealt with do I just live in remorse and regret for a week or by his stripes by his stripes we are healed So, when we do sin, there there is an appropriate sense of sorrow. But when when we continue to beat ourselves up for our failures and live in some degree of self-hatred, it shows that we are not believing that it is by His stripes that we are healed. When we beat ourselves up and live in self-hatred, it shows that we are not believing that it is by His work that our sins are removed. He suffered in our place, and because of that, we do not need to live in the agony or suffer the agony and the punishment of our sins. And this truly is the good news of the gospel. You know, Josh talked about last week about how, what, what good news the gospel is, what happy news it is. Well, this is, this is why it is such good and happy news. So what can be done about your past? Maybe from years ago, maybe from when you were a teenager or a child. What can be done about your past? What can be done about last week or last month? What can be done about your faults, your sins, your sorrows? Isaiah 53 reveals that someone, Jesus, took all of this from us. And gave us back wholeness, health, and peace with God. He took all the judgment, the pain, the eternal punishment that belonged to you and me. And he paid for it in full. He paid for it in full. Totally. So that nothing else needs to be done to pay for your iniquity. Your rebellion. Your sin. And your transgression. And what better summary can we give to this than what God himself gives us in verse 6? We all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What have we done? I mean, what do we bring to the table? What, What do we bring to this relationship with God? We bring the sad miserable reality that we have all gone astray that's what you have to offer god that's what you bring to the table you bring the fact that we have all miserably failed we have all gone astray but the lord has laid the iniquity of all that on him on jesus christ I want to share just three really brief applications this morning uh, as, we, as we close this message. First of all, for those here, for anyone here who is not saved, and I believe there is someone or perhaps more than one here who is in that situation. And I want to speak to you for just a moment. And I want to, ans- ask, I want to ans- answer the question, how can you be saved? How can you be saved this morning? Salvation will come to you when you recognize your guilt and sin, when you acknowledge that, and when you, by faith, put your trust in Jesus and believe and proclaim that he was wounded for me. He was wounded for my sins and for my iniquities. He was pierced for me. My iniquity was laid on Christ. When you believe in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ to carry away, to lift off of you the burden and load and sorrow and grief of your sin, when you trust in Jesus to lift that off of you and, to, and believe that He bore it in His own body, That is when salvation will come to your life. That's how your guilt is transferred to him. And when you trust in Christ to bear your sins and that he bore your sins on the cross, then you need bear them not one moment longer. Second application, for all of us who have known these truths for years and maybe heard them for years, my application for you is to pray for a deeper conviction that the cross works. Pray for a deeper conviction that the the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of your needs. Not only your sins, but all that your sins have produced. The misery, the guilt, the sorrow, the grief, the shame, the pain, everything. Develop a conviction that the cross works for you, for me. What Jesus did on the cross works. That's basically what Isaiah is telling us here. It works to take away your sin, your shame, your sorrow, and pain. And it is the only thing that works to take these things away from us. It is the only thing that can bring healing to our lives. The basic answers to life are found at the cross. It is through the cross that our broken lives are put back together. And the third application is take all your troubles to Jesus. Take all your troubles to the Lord. I'm sure many of you have heard the old humorous statement by Joyce. I mean, when you have when you have problems, do you run to the throne or to the phone? I mean, take all of your problems to Jesus. Take all of your burdens, your grief, your sickness of heart and body, all the pains that come from living in this fallen, sinful world. Take all of that to Jesus because he chose to bear that for you. He went through all that he did in order so that he could bear that for you. And so the application for us is simply turn to him for everything. Turn to him in your every need because he is the only one who is sufficient for every need that you have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, this amazing passage. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, cause us to love this passage, to love the promises in it, to cling to them, to, to go to them, uh, to, to, to believe them, to believe that you have borne the burdens of our griefs and our sorrows, that you've taken our iniquities, our guilt, all of that, all of that upon you. And what an, what an amazing, wonderful thing What what an incredible act of love that you would do that for us. Lord, I pray that from the very bottom of our hearts, we would be able to say and to sing daily, He loved me, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, and to live in the joy and the wholeness of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Um, Glad to see each and every one of you. Um, Mark Goings, glad to see you here this morning. I was hoping Peggy could be here. We're thankful that she's home from the hospital uh, and doing better. Glad to to get a good report on that. But each and every one of you, glad to have you here this morning. Uh, Trust that the Holy Spirit will just continue to minister to you throughout the day the joy and the beauty of these promises in your heart and soul. Amen. Amen.